Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. There is nothing new under the sun, saith the preacher. Hmm? Yeah. So being nothing new under the sun, what are we doing? We are repeating. We repeat and repeat and repeat. Rather like phonograph records, huh? And somewhere, somehow, the needle got stuck. Centuries have passed since then, but the human mind continues to behave in the same old patterns. Hmm? It killed Socrates and it crucified Jesus. Again and again, they have come. You know, there's always been somebody who knew around. Hmm? Those who have attained, yeah. But what did it change? The repetition, repetition, with the needle stuck, huh? If a Christ should come again, or a Buddha should come again, you know, he will do the same. They would do the same thing. They would bring to us the unknown. And what we know, you know, our known, is very apprehensive of that unknown. So again, we will have insecurity when the known faces the unknown it is insecure and we say such things as well maybe the way I'm thinking isn't quite correct and that is an insecurity of a very high order We don't say this to ourselves very often. Maybe it could be, perhaps, that the way I am thinking might not be correct. You know, you know, because in this kind of a disorder, we don't like, you know, the mind wants to be comfortable and it wants a convenient life. Yeah. Although a convenient life may not be really living. After all, you know, they do say the most comfortable life is in the grave. Yeah, then nothing has to change. You know, in, in feeling an aliveness in you, if you're alive, you know, there is sure to be some kind of inconveniences that you will meet. Hmm? 
If you're alive, you will see challenges. If you are alive, you know every moment you will come face to face with yourself. So that every moment you're ready to change and ready to move. Something in you is ready to move. This is living adventure. But who is an adventurer? Huddled in our little holes. You don't call that living an adventure. No. And if you miss adventure, you miss. If your life is not one of adventure, you know, of a search into the unknown, then what is your life about? Hmm? The same old repetition, you know, stuck with a phonograph needle. Someone like Jesus, you know, brings an unknown. See? He brings a challenge. And this comfortable thinking mind, you know, this settled, canalized mind, it kind of feels a danger, you know. So either, you know, you have this choice. You either go with it or you have to remove that which is attracting you to the unknown. And so usually we bury it and we bury it with a lot of words about it, and the adventure of living it is dead. Hmm? There are two types of order in this world. One is man-made order. And this man-made order, we talk about a lot. We discuss it. And we argue about it. And we sometimes agree about it. And through this arguing and agreeing, you know, we create foe and friend. Hmm? About our man-made orders. There is also a divine order. A man-made order, you know, in a way is a kind of a make-believe because it does hide a disorder. You know, if we, we try to make everything nice and neat and orderly, huh? But now just the opposite is true of the divine order. Now maybe on the surface of this divine order, it may seem paradoxical, and it may seem a little disorderly, and it may seem a little chaotic, or contradictory, but deep in the depths, there's order. Hmm? On the surface, you know, great waves, but the ocean is silent, way deep down. Hmm? Now, you know, when you see with yourself that there is a kind of a disorder, Something about you is not orderly. It's in a kind of a disorder. Where do you move? Something inside of you moves. You know, where do you go? Where do you go? Now, I don't mean go outside and run around. I mean, here, where do you go? What do you do with it? Where do you search for a place out of this inner disorder? Where do you go? 
if you watch, you will see that you really move within, so that you kind of move behind it. Huh? Now, when you think that everything is okay and you're feeling fine, there's nothing wrong, who bothers to go in? Yeah? Those who have come, who are great in the religious sense, allow us to look at our illusions of order so that we may seek for a divine order. This divine order that Lao Tzu called Tao, you know, it means an order that is not man-made, an order which is intrinsic to itself. It is the law out of which man is born. Hmm? Many man-made laws, but only one law, one Tao, that the Buddha called Dharma, and we could say that Jesus called the kingdom. Hmm? That's one law, one order. But supposing, you know, that uh, Jesus were to walk in here today and say it was possible that you could recognize him, which... <laughs> anyway, when, if he could come, he would bring into your life a kind of a disorder because what he would do would be to try to make you a little more or maybe a great deal more alert. He would be saying to you, wake up. He would be like an alarm. And mostly people are offended. Hmm? Their sleep is disturbed. Could you do this to me to disturb my sleep? Hmm? Maybe you're having a beautiful dream, and he disturbs this dream. And you don't want to be disturbed. This dream is very nice. And yet, on the other hand, there is this attraction, you know. There's something about it that appeals to something in the depths of you. The mind says, no, it's a lot of malarkey. But within you, there's something that starts saying, oh, oh let's wait a minute here, you know. Maybe, yes. So that there is a conflict now. There is a struggle. And out of this comes fear. And what do we do? We have to get rid of the conflict so we get rid of the person whom we think is causing it. Don't look at yourself, you know. God forbid that you should look, huh? Yeah. But out there, you know, crucify him. Get rid of him. Then I can be in my beautiful dream. Hmm? Yeah, but watch yourself, you know. When you're in love, love is very undisciplined, you know. And yet, at the, on the other hand, it's the most disciplined thing in the world. When you love a person, what rules do you follow? I would like to see them written out in a book. What rules do you follow, huh? Yeah? What rules are needed for love? Hmm? You know, love in a way brings its own rules. It brings its own orders. Don't impose on it something of the man-made order, huh? 
the love itself brings a discipline. So when Jesus said, you know, I bring love to you, he also means I bring a certain discipline of the inner. And then when you encounter this inner, peace, peace be unto you. And when people heard him, and when they understood him, or rather when they misunderstood him, but even so, little by little, they became aware of certain things. They became aware of certain things about their insecurities, about their comforts, about the things to which they were clinging, about the things which they were avoiding. they became a little more aware of their walls. They became a little more aware of the prisons in which they were hiding and maybe feeling safe for a moment. And here's this one, shaking them out of their sleep. They couldn't see who Jesus was because they couldn't see him directly. You know, what do we see directly? What do we do directly? What do you do directly? Not much, in a manner of speaking. Hmm? Even the way we listen. Are you listening? Hmm? We listen to the things that are in some way related to us, or we shy away from that which disturbs us, and we cling to that which consoles us, you can watch your thoughts as you go along, hearing, huh? and you will linger with one thought longer than another because it may console you, and you will certainly drop immediately that which disturbs you because you listen in reference to yourself. That's what you hear, reference to yourself, the worldly self. Yeah. It's quite natural, hmm? isn't it? Wouldn't you think so? Hmm? To listen about yourself. <clears throat> but because of yourself, you know, this reference, things are apt to be confused. Hmm? You know, when you read a book, you don't really read the book that the author has written. There's a part of you in there that's reading. Hmm? You have a particular way of reading at a particular moment of time. We call it your state of consciousness. Hmm? Hearing is not difficult. Listening is the problem. And listening simply means don't choose, just listen. Don't choose, listen. Hmm? So, now we're listening. <laughs> the crucifixion of Easter is not only an historic event, 
and something that happened and now the world is all finished with it. It is something that is happening all the time. Every time you favor your prison, every time you favor your comfort, every time you favor a particular thing, are you crucifying the being within? Hmm? Now, if you understand rightly what I'm saying, you will stop that. Hmm? Just listen. I heard a story once. There was a very incompetent carpenter, and he built a very creaky house for himself. And then he maintained it carelessly. The roof was about to collapse, and the floors were uneven to walk on. Everything was wrong about the house. And his neighbors warned him of the danger, you know. But he refused to listen and became very angry with them. Because, you know, it was not only a house. It was his house. It was his ego trip. Hmm? So don't say anything against it. Hmm? You know, you say anything about his house, he took it personally. It was against him. This is how the mind reacts, isn't it? Yeah. Even someone disagreeing with some of the ideas that we have, we say right away to ourselves, he's rejecting me. And we forget it's just an idea that they didn't agree with. Yeah? And so this man had his house. What have you got? Hmm? Hmm. <coughs> and finally this man getting tired of all this unwanted advice, he put some plugs in his ears. And the warnings continued. The neighbors still kept saying, you know, your house is going to fall down on you someday. Be move out and fix it or do something with it. But this carpenter, he only smiled, and he didn't hear a word. You know. And, of course, the day came when the house collapsed, and he escaped, fortunately, with only some very minor injuries. And the neighbors, of course, scolded him. See, see, you know, we warned you. You know, you're punished by your own stubbornness. And the carpenter just smiled. Incredibly, in spite of the disaster, he built another house. Same old foolishness. You know, he's always, after all, very stubborn. We make a mistake. You don't believe it? You make a mistake and you rationalize it in a thousand and one ways to defend yourself, to defend the ego, huh? To prove that it really wasn't a mistake at all. No, 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 no. And then you do it again, and this time you hope it's going to come out all right. Yeah? This is called hoping against hope. (laughs) Yeah? And anyway, this carpenter, he built another house, very hazardous house, you know, creaky house, and he moved in. And again, he was warned. 
but he never changed his ways because by now he took his earplugs as both a normal and easy way of living. Hmm? You wipe that smile off in a big hurry. <laughs> yeah. Now, Jesus' message, in a manner of speaking, we could say, was very simple. Anyone could understand it, but hardly anyone understood it. Hmm? And the rank and file became so enraged that they killed this innocent man. He hadn't committed any sin. He wasn't a criminal, but he was treated as one. And three persons were going to be crucified that day. And one of the thieves' name was Barabbas, hmm? which means, the name means son of the master. Yeah. And there's somebody, uh, I think it was Marie Corelli wrote a book about him and how he finally, with all his guilt, tried to cope with his life. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> the bandit who was sentenced to die. Uh, but as a, as a tradition at that time, on this one day of the year, there was one that was to be released. And Pontius Pilate, of course, was hoping that they would release Jesus. But the crowd demanded otherwise. The rank and the file, they demanded otherwise. And Jesus was crucified in his place. <coughs> Then he released Barabbas unto them because they had asked for him. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it would seem to some that uh, Jesus maybe became doubtful. Hmm? Not so. And there are those who think that maybe he was hoping for a miracle. Hmm? See, that God would descend from heaven and save him, and that there would be this great miracle. Not so. He was not doubtful, and he was not expecting a miracle. The crowd was expecting a miracle. But then why these words? Well, let's play around with it a little bit. Uh, let us uh, think about an ending, a last step in the adventure. Where life is going now to embrace death. And it's quite natural. So he didn't have a doubt. There was no skepticism. He was not losing trust. He was simply human. He was one who was being uprooted. 
that he was human, Jesus tried to show over and over and over, you know. And if he had been waiting for a miracle, this would have been the moment to say, well, either perform the miracle or we will all know, God, you don't exist. You know, I was fooled by my own illusions, by my dreams. Or maybe he would have challenged, you know, and said, now is the time to prove that you are. And he did none of this. There was a man at one time by the name of Burke, though, you know, and he stood before his audience. He was a philosopher of some kind. And he took out his pocket watch, and he stood there, and he said to these people, I will believe in God if he can stop this watch. Hmm? Now! Stop this watch now! So, and he looked upward and he said, If you exist, you know, please do this much of a miracle. Hmm? It's not a big miracle I'm asking. You know, all you have to do is stop the watch. You know, then we will know that you exist. You know. And of course the watch didn't stop. So to this man, he had proved that God didn't exist. He could have at least said something that maybe he had, God was wearing earplugs at the moment or something, you know, but no, no, he didn't exist. Yeah. You know, this my God, my God, is a simple humanness. I am a fragile human being. And some of them that stood there, when they heard it said, this man calleth for Elias. He was an old prophet, huh? Elias. And this call, you know, my God, my God, and no answer. Existence is silent. Hmm? There was no verbal answer, answer forthcoming. And he gave up the ghost. He surrendered. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And Jesus was taken from the cross and placed in a tomb with a huge stone in the front of it so that no one could come and take away the body. You know, they were very fearful about this. And then on the third day, as we are all so familiar with, becomes Mary who finds the tomb empty. But then she talks with Jesus in the garden. This was the answer. His resurrection. Yeah? And this is what Easter is about. The resurrection. And in John, we read, Then the same day, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad 
when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Western thought has mistaken the message of Easter as having meaning only to the resurrection of one single man in remote history. Unless we read St. Paul, who says that the resurrection is yet to be. He says, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. And he wrote this about 60 years after the death of Jesus. And when we read something like that, it should remind us that the concepts that we have about Easter and the event of the resurrection are that's what they are, concepts. Hmm? And the reality about that concept is to be actualized, is to be known by every man, woman, and child within himself. You know, I'm talking about you, within you. Easter symbolizes the goal uh, of our struggle. We could call it up the mountain of being. And our true identity, you know, gleams like a star of what is to be. When the conditioning and the becoming is known for what it is, are shifting from this to that, and that to this, and are clinging to the ego, which seems to us to stand in the very center. When all that is known for what it is, and temporarily set aside, there stands the true man, hmm? shifting nowhere. It is as it is, and it stands as it is. To give a, a true meaning to the symbols of Easter, of the resurrection, of the rebirth, one must set about a search. You know, the adventure of it. One must discipline oneself to the law. And in the so doing, come insights. You know, insights within yourself, out of yourself, you know, of what is transpiring in the depth of your soul. And in these insights, the symbol, you know, is taken out 
of the remote past. And we are speaking specifically right now of Easter, huh? You know, taken out of the remote past and presented as living today. Do not allow your life to become a museum. Hmm? Do not let it die away in a reiteration of words. The very life of you is not a past myth. It is immediate. It is now. You are now. So you look at it directly. On the Holy Saturday, that is the day between the crucifixion and the resurrection, huh? Uh, the day which is in which it is said that Jesus spent in the belly of hell, you know, which most people don't want to hear about. <clears throat> you know, just give us the gold. Never mind the rest, huh? Yeah, yeah. Just give us the prize. Never mind all the other fault or all. But in on this... Holy Saturday, in an ancient ritual of the church. A candle is lighted and the water is blessed. Now, what do these symbols signify to you? Hmm? We have receptive water and living flame. And they point to something. In the ritual, this ancient ritual of the church, the lighted candle is dipped into the water just slightly, huh? And then again, a little deeper. And the third time, the whole of the candle is immersed. So they say now the womb is fructified with fire, with spirit, which is the symbol of transformation sometimes called a spiritual marriage. To enter the water is like crossing a threshold, the beginnings of the journey of the soul. The baptism of Holy Saturday, out of which comes this resurrection, and Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. And the poor little Nicodemus, whom I love so much, how can a man be born again when he is old? How can he enter again a second time into his mother's womb? Hmm? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. These words are for you. Hmm? Not, not just to a man that lived a long time ago, but they're for you. So you follow through hmm? 
and you seek. You seek. You have to do it. You seek the adventure of the miracle of yourself. We all look out there. We've got two eyes that look out there. But if we only look out there, the divine within us remains untouched, unknown, and unawakened. And of course, I'm not saying forget about what's going on out here, you know? You have to. You've got to eat. You've got to eat. <laughs> right? Huh? But if one focuses attention only on the outer, you know, we do this because we think, well, it'll make us a better person, which may be true. But if you're only looking out there, you're going to miss the unfolding of your own reality. Because it is not only, you know, a distant historical soul that we need to pay attention to, to exalt. It is our own soul that cries for attention and recognition. We don't all have to be like the knight who went out on the search for the Holy Grail and searched the whole world over before he finally came home again to find the Christ on his own doorstep. You are already on your own doorstep. You just follow through. Mm. Well, I'm going to read you a little thing from Aurobindo, which I think, in my opinion, fits a little bit today. Our life is a paradox with God for a key. The secret God beneath the threshold dwells, a nameless resident vesting unseen powers, an omnipotent, indiscernible influence. He sits unfelt by the form in which he lives and veils his knowledge by the groping mind. A wanderer in a world his thoughts have made. He turns in a wheel of error and truth to find a wisdom that on high is his. As one forgetting, he searches for himself, as if he had lost an inner light. He seeks as a sojourner, lingering amid alien scenes. He journeys to a home he knows no more. His own self's truth he seeks, who is the truth. He is the player who became the play. He is the thinker who became the thought. 
the many who is the silent one. He explores the ceaseless miracle of himself till the thousandfold enigma has been solved in the single light of an all-witnessing soul. It's our Easter. Um, for those of you who would like to stay, I think somebody's going to go down and get some chicken. Right? And uh, also, before we break up the assembly here, I would like you to meet a man who is very, very dear to me and who is to me, a, well, what are you going to say? Hmm. He's my teacher, <laughs> Dr. Henry Plotoff. Yeah. Happy Easter. Happy rebirth. Yeah. And now, may the peace and the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I do thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.